as it may, turn your Bibles now to Luke 19. Luke 19, I'm going to pray one more time while you're turning there. Father, uh, in Jesus' name, as we study now your word together, as we grow in grace and in knowledge, may, Lord, your word not return void, but may it do what it was set out to accomplish. And may our hearts, Lord, be open, fertile, ready to receive what you have for us. And I pray, Lord, for myself as your vessel, Lord, that I would be a surrendered tool in your hands Use, Lord, for you and your glory and for your kingdom alone. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We thank you for keeping us out of the rain outside and in here. May you reign as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Palm Sunday, that Sunday where Jesus Christ would ride into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. Imagine the scene, if you would. The back of a donkey. Why would he choose the back of a donkey? Well, for a lot of reasons. One reason in particular is in the book of Zechariah. Listen, it was prophesied that when the Messiah Messiah came into Jerusalem, it would be on the back of a donkey. And so Jesus didn't want anybody to miss it. And so he did it just as it was foretold. Now, if you know the story, it's kind of crazy. Jesus told his two homies, he's like, hey, guys, go into the next town. You're going to see a donkey, okay? Not that uncommon. It's never been ridden before. Go ahead and grab the donkey. And when you do, somebody's going to come over to you and say, hey, why are you grabbing my donkey? And then you tell them the Lord needs it. And they'll be like, oh, no big deal. And they'll let you take it. It's going to be perfect. Now, (laughs) imagine you get that assignment. You're like, man, I just wanted to teach Sunday school. Now we got to go steal a donkey. Uh, you know, you got to say yes to what the Lord wants or he'll make you do funny stuff. Anyways, these guys go and they grab this donkey and lo and behold, the donkey owner comes out. He's like, why are you taking my donkey? And, uh, what do you say? Oh, the Lord has need of it. You know, and this guy's like, this, these, these are not the drones you're looking for. And oh, go ahead, take the donkey. And they come back, they're freaking out. He just let us take the donkey, you know. That's the story. And then they took their jackets off and they put their jackets upon this donkey that had never been ridden. Now, if you were Jesus, so let me, I can't pick on you. If I were Jesus, if I were the Christ, if I were the Messiah, if I were God, if I had created everything, I wouldn't have picked a donkey to come into Jerusalem on. Man, I would have resurrected a T-Rex or something. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is going to get crazy. T-Rex arms and all, I'm going to just tear some people up. That's how I would come in. Jesus here, though, is showing both his deity in control and in prophecy fulfillment, but he's also showing his humility and his humanity. He's both and, okay? He is all God and all human combined, the the God-man. And he comes in on this donkey riding in and they begin to take their jackets off and put them on the donkey before he sits on it. Then they take their jackets off and they put their jackets on the ground and you know they call it Palm Sunday or the triumphal entry because they took those palm branches too and waved them. And when they cried out, they cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And then they also quoted from Psalm 118. I just want you to get the picture because this is Palm Sunday and this is Passion Week. And you and I get the grand opportunity to get more Jesus this week as we study the scriptures. Again, as I pointed out, you can start in Mark 11 and just read through the end there this week. That's the triumphal entry and on. You can start at John 13. That's the Last Supper. There's seven chapters after that. And there's all kinds. You can start in Luke 19 and just study. I need you to get something. Go there with me real quick. Imagine this. Jesus comes in on this donkey, and we're going to see what happens. I'm not going to spend too much time here. We're going to get into Ephesians, okay? But as he comes in, he then begins to teach in Jerusalem that day, Palm Sunday. After he was done teaching, sharing, sowing, witnessing, and pleading, he would leave. That night he left. He went back out to the Mount of Olives. He went back to Bethany. Then he would go back on Monday, and he would preach, teach, share, debate, and fight with people. Then he would leave. 
Then he would come back Tuesday and do the same thing, and he'd leave. He never stayed in Jerusalem during the Holy Week. Everyone went to Jerusalem. He wouldn't stay there, but he always went there exposing himself as the Messiah, willing to fight with people, willing to argue, willing to ask questions. Just read from Luke 19 on, and Jesus teaches, and he uses parables, and he uses illustrations, and he uses... Here's the point. Jesus is about to die on the cross, but before then, he says, I don't want you to miss it. I'm going to make sure you see this. I'm going to come every single day to Jerusalem, and I'm going to let you ask me questions, and I'm going to dialogue with you, and then I'm going to die for all of us. See, Jesus is always, today too, been on a mission to seek and to save the lost, the hard-hearted, the bummed out, the embittered, the wounded, the wanderer. He is always looking for them. Hey, want to talk? You want to talk? Did you think about this? Watch me here. Check me out here. And that is his heart and intention. I just need you to understand that. As a matter of fact, James alliterated to that as he spoke just a minute ago, how we have an opportunity to look for Jesus and take it seriously and go deeper to the same degree that Jesus looked for us, to the same degree that Jesus went after you in your state and in your situation. So that's what we're studying. Why did Jesus walk... Come in on a donkey instead of a T-Rex. He should have used a T-Rex, but instead he wanted to come in humble. So he said, I want to come in low. I don't want to scare anybody. I want to come in as a servant, low, meek, and mild. Uh, Let's read, actually, beginning in verse 34. Actually, verse 35. It says, then they brought him, that's this donkey, this colt. This is the one time you see God as a colt fan. Um, Other than that, he's not a fan of the colts, Indianapolis colts. That's a joke. Thank you. I got one laugh over here. Appreciate that. Got to loosen up 11 a.m. service. Come on now. Thank you. Anyways, they bring this colt to Jesus. Verse 35, they brought him to Jesus and they threw their own clothes on the colt and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. And then as he went, as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice and for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Imagine the scene, Jesus coming down from the Mount of Olives. If you know anything about Jerusalem, this is outside of the proper city wall. And there the Mount of Olives to the right of the Mount of Olives would be the Via Della Rosa where Christ would carry the cross down. And below that directly would be the Garden of Gethsemane and the Mount of Olives up here and the Kidron Valley down here. And he'd be riding down through the Kidron Valley then up to the ascent of the Eastern Gate there into Jerusalem through that Eastern Gate. And if you know anything, the Eastern Gate's still there in Jerusalem, but it's sealed shut real thick with mortar and bricks and rebar. And the Turkish government sealed it shut many, many years ago because they knew that there was a prophecy that said when Christ came back, he would go through the Eastern Gate. So they said, well, let's just seal that up. Not realizing the very next verse said, and the gate will be sealed. (laughs) Gotta keep reading, man. You gotta keep reading. (laughs) I'm not kidding. The gate's sealed. Anyways, it wasn't sealed in Jesus' day. It was the Eastern Gate, the beautiful gate, and Jesus was riding right towards it. He's on this donkey coming down, about to ascend, Listen to what happens in verse 37. Let's read it again. Drawing near the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice. Why? For all the mighty works they had seen, saying, then they go on to worship him. Did you know that those who have seen the mighty works of God have no other right reaction than to just worship him? The people who have seen Jesus do crazy things, who have experienced Jesus from the inside out, who have had their lives changed, the only right reaction is, Hosanna, save now. That's the one. He's the guy. He's it. And have you seen this in your own life? 
where you've gone to the things of the world, you've tried it your way, or you've tried it Oprah's way, or you've tried it Dr. Phil's way, or you've tried it whatever way, and all of a sudden, Jesus' way did it. And you're like, oh man, yeah, that's the one. And the lives who have been touched by Jesus know they're here tonight, today, by the hundreds. Not everyone here has had that aha moment where the scales have dropped and the light has been turned on, but those who know that Jesus changes lives, he changes lives better than programs, okay? He changes lives better than steps, okay? Better than exercise, better than pills, better than people. Jesus changes everything. And when you know that, when you experience that, you can't help but sing and praise when you realize that he is all you need. This is what I would call the remnant, okay? There are always people everywhere at all times that know this about Jesus, whether it's in a liberal society or a conservative society or a God society or a godless society or a small town or a big town. There's gonna be those, I call them the remnant, hopefully you're part of that group, that just know, you know that you know that you know. It's Jesus Christ. I don't have all the answers to all your questions, but I do have that one. It is all about Jesus, okay? And these guys had to make a choice. Did you know it wasn't popular then to do what they were doing as they worshiped Jesus in public? Do you guys realize that in our society, it's actually getting less and less popular to love Jesus? <laughs> you guys figured that out? I don't need to tell you that. You guys know it. There is a tension out there. There is a line that we are walking. We don't want to get fired. We don't want to get rejected. We don't want to be offensive. We don't want to be looked at as that group. This group here on that day, loud and proud, jackets off, palm branches. He's the Messiah. Why? <laughs> their, their lives had been changed. And if you don't want to worship God, have a problem worshiping him, I wonder if your life has truly been changed. I just wonder if there's, because it's so black and white to those who've experienced it. And there are those who on the outside looking in, maybe even here at this service, that say, yeah, I don't know if I'd do that. I'd probably play the cool card. You know, I'd probably just ride the wall real quick and just see what happened. I don't know if I would be that group. Then there are those that are running to the front that would say, no, 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 no. I'm with him. I'm with Jesus, actually believe it or not, because my life has been changed. Notice what they say here. Here's how you're gonna get this, by the way. Verse 38, here's what they were saying. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They're quoting from Psalm 118, but they're concluding in their hearts. You know what? You know why I love Jesus? He's given me peace that nothing else can counterfeit. He's given me peace that nothing else can replace. He's given me peace. Did you know that we're all looking for peace right now? Man, if I could just get a, if I could get a raise, ah, oh, I could breathe easy, okay? If I could just get married, man, life would become so easy. Wrong. <laughs> if I could just have kids, if I could just get rid of my kids, if I could just, what, if I could get another, if I could get less of. Here's the deal. You're pre-programmed to want peace. It's just the way it is. And you're looking for it in all different places, and you think if it's going to be a time off or an experience here or a rest in that way, Paul would say this in the book of Hebrews. He said, labor to enter into your rest, to your peace, which is in Christ. You got to work hard to know that your peace, your true inner peace comes from a person, not a program or a pill or a place. They knew that. He knows that. Some of you in here also realize that he's the, he's the peace. As a matter of fact, this is in the gospel. We're in Luke 19. About 50 years later, we'll be in Ephesians. That's where Ephesians comes in, about 50 years later. And Paul would say this in Ephesians 2.14. We're in Ephesians 1.15. We'll be in Ephesians 2.14, maybe by Christmas. Wintertime, we'll be in chapter. <laughs> It'll, it's waiting for us. It's fine. And when we get there, Ephesians 2.14, he says, and he himself is our peace. That's cray cray. He himself is our peace. 
It's not a physical achievement. It's not a social standing. Matter of fact, I watched this video this morning. I'm not sure why. I try not to watch videos in the morning. <laughs> but I watched a video. It came up on my Facebook feed, and it was an interview of about seven or eight uh, rich and famous people. And each and every one of them in these particular clips of interviews said that no matter what they got, no matter who they were, no matter how much, it didn't, <laughs> it wasn't, it was, they weren't happy. Their joy, their peace, and they had a different conclusion that I'm leading you to. But the reality is it's him that is our peace. These guys, these gals knew it. Look at verse 39. It says, and some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, saying, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Stop right there, eyes up here. This is crazy to me. See, Jesus had lived for three years on the earth at that time in his ministry status. That is his miraculous workings. He'd been alive for 30 years, but for three years he was doing stuff. He was doing stuff in God's power. And he is doing stuff in his ministry form. And guess who had seen him do that? Everybody including these Pharisees. And these Pharisees come to this conclusion that, Jesus, can you tell your disciples to calm down? Just bring it down a little bit. Like they're calling you God and you're receiving. It's very offensive to us. Now, did you know that Jesus had walked on water at this point? Did you know that he had taken water and poured it out of a vessel and it was wine? Did you know that he took some five loaves and two fish and multiplied it and fed 5,000 people more than once? Did you know that he had raised people from the dead and he had healed the blind and healed the leprous and healed the lame? He'd He'd done all this, and so when the, listen, when these, listen, listen, when these people worshipped, there was another group that weren't disciples. We're going to call them dissenters. They saw, they saw everything Jesus had done, and they saw this reaction of worship, and yet for some cuckoo, blind reason, they said, Jesus, don't receive that. You're not worthy. Don't tell them to stop. Here's the deal. Right now, today, 2,000 years ago, then, there will always be two groups of people, disciples and dissenters. A dissenter is somebody who doesn't like what they see and is trying to divide and mess things up. They're just dissenting. And there's always going to be, in our generation today and in that generation then, disciples who know that he's the peace, who felt it and sensed it, who are going to speak out even when it's unpopular, even when they get slapped around for it. And there'll always be, this is so weird to me, it's just crazy, dissenters who, though they, check this out, they see it all, they see everything you do, blind to it. Doesn't change anything. You need, to, you need to get this, especially if you're a critical thinker here this morning. Maybe you're a critic of Christ. Maybe you're a critic of the Bible. Maybe you're a critic of Christianity. Or maybe you're a defender and a disciple of Christianity. Here's the deal. There is enough evidence today, okay, just as there was in Christ's day. There is enough evidence today to prove the very things that God has declared about himself to prove the existence of Jesus and the power of Jesus and the crucifixion of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. All of that happened. Miracle stuff. Stuff that demands, listen, or deserves, I'll say demands a reaction, one of worship and adoration. Just demands it unless, unless you have something wrong with your heart. Unless you see the obvious and say, I don't care, I'm still not going to worship him. I just don't care. And I'll say it this way, I've said it a lot of times, I'm gonna say it till I die. It's not for lack of evidence that anybody in the world says no to God. It's not for lack of evidence that anybody says, well, I don't really get by the whole Christian thing because there's not enough evidence. You can't say that. There's actually more evidence, 
okay? Um, scientific evidence, historical data, more evidence that they have gathered, garnered, and have guarded at this point too in museums. There is more archaeological evidence proving every single thing that the Bible says from Genesis to Revelation. Did you know there's archaeological digs verifying and validating every book of the Bible as its authentic date, period of time, and place and position in history? Like Genesis, oh, look at this, Abraham, this, Abraham. Oh, look at that. It all makes sense. And they found Abraham's tent. Even right now, there's Abraham's gate. You can go to Jerusalem. I've seen it there. It's preserved where Abraham lived. Everything. There's actually more evidence in museums and in the world today, more evidence that proves that what Christ said and did is true than there is evidence, real factual evidence, documents in history, than there is evidence proving that Napoleon Bonaparte was a real individual. There's more evidence, more strict evidence, scientifically computed, that says Christ did what he did than there is that Napoleon Bonaparte marched on Waterloo and was a French revolutionary leader. Yet, in schools today, not one person is going to raise their hand and say, who's this Napoleon guy? I'm not sure if I believe in him. Now, I believe in Neapolitan ice cream. Let's go there. Napoleon, I'm not sure. Nobody has a problem with Napoleon Bonaparte. There's like three or four historical arguments for his existence, and we all say, yeah, that's enough. That's, and that, by the way, that is enough. If you have writings, if you have history, if you have uh, records detailing the history of a man three or four times, duh, of course he was real. Of course it's a real person. There is so many facts. Here's my point. It's not because of the lack of evidence or facts that people like these Pharisees say, Jesus, stop receiving worship and quiet your disciples. We're gonna kill you, okay? It's not for lack of evidence. Here's the three reasons why people say no to Jesus. And this might be your problem, might be your friend's problem. Here's the three reasons. They're all kind of tied together. They're all almost the same. The first one is probably the most problematic. The first reason that people say no to Christ is not for evidence. Just prove it to me. Just pr- it's, it's, it's been proven. It's actually been proven. The problem is, starts with P, rhymes with ride, Pride. Because when you finally realize, oh, wow, oh, man, the guy in the donkey, Jesus, okay, well, if he is God, then something needs to change in my life. If what he said is true, it demands a change. It demands a directional correction. He is God. I no longer am God. We, as a human, prideful group, love to be autonomous. We love to be the king of our little empire. I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. And that little P word will keep people distanced from God until you humble yourself and say, wow, turns out I didn't create myself. Turns out I'm a created being in his image. Wow, turns out he has a plan. Wow, turns out Jesus is real. When pride is removed, Christ enters in. The second thing is not pride, but rebellion. Rebellion against God, I just don't wanna do it. I don't, wanna, I don't want him to take over and I don't trust him and, and I don't think I need to listen to his ways and I've done a pretty good job myself better than you, 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 and you. That makes me God. Rebellion, which is very similar to pride. The third thing, and this is actually something I'll tread lightly on, is people reject Jesus, not because of evidence. The evidence is there. That's, you can't use that as an excuse. Just as these people here, they'd seen him walk on water. They can't say you're not, he'd done it all. He's coming in on a donkey, fulfilling Zechariah chapter nine. He's doing it. But there's a hardness of heart where you just say no to God. No, my heart is hard for various reasons. Why do you get a hard heart? A lot of reasons, pain. You've been wounded, you've been disappointed, and you have to soften your heart in order to say yes to God and say, okay, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna choose to trust you. Last time I trusted somebody, I got beat up. Last time I trusted somebody, they died. Last time I trusted somebody, they left me. Last, And you have to soften your heart and say, I'm gonna trust God. 
I'm going to trust Jesus. And there are dissenters and there are disciples. And there's always going to be that group of people. But it's not for lack of evidence. I'm telling you what. Pride, rebellion, or a hard heart. And all of those can be conquered by Jesus Christ. All of those. If you would just pray even this morning and say, I don't want to have a hard heart. I don't want to protect myself. I want to, open, I want to trust. Lord, I don't want to be rebellious, man. That, does, that doesn't sound good at all. And I don't want to be prideful, at least not in this area. Look at verse 39 again. I want you to see this. Some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Look at Jesus' answer. This is Palm Sunday. But he answered them and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Now I'm going to be the first to say, I don't even know what that means. Like talking rocks, like isn't that a band or something? You know, like that sounds pretty cool. Like you're trying to imagine this in your little like, you know, crayon 3D brain. You're like talking rocks. I don't know. I'm not sure what he means also, but I would just say this. Jesus looks at the Pharisees who are demanding that he shut up the disciples. (laughs) And Jesus smiles and says, look, if I did, there would be more that would just come up out of the rocks, okay? There would be more souls who hear my message and come up out of the rubble and the destruction, those who had stony hearts and who hear and rise up out of the rubble and out of all of the wreckage of life. And maybe you're here today and say, yeah, I kind of, I'm like a blockhead that's been rescued from the rubble and I'm gonna cry out to Jesus and nothing can stop me. As a matter of fact, check this out. Did you know that as Satan and the, the, the world around us pushes back on Jesus in the church historically from the very beginning. As Satan tries to stop it and squash it and silence it, it just goes out sideways all over the place and grows more. You can't stop the church. Jesus would say, oh, you want me to quiet, oh, you want me to quiet them? Why? <laughs> oh, wow, that's threatening. If I quieted them, more would spring up. That's just the way it works because truth, did you guys know this? Truth is not up for debate, Okay. It's the truth. You can say you don't like the truth. You can have an opinion about whatever, but the truth is the truth. And Jesus would say there's going to be more people. This is just the way it is. No matter what and no matter when, there's always going to be haters against the Lord, but there will always be those that do love him. Okay, And uh, there's always going to be that audience of disciples around him being used by him. Now, again, I said it a minute ago. I'll say it again these guys had a choice to make, whether they were going to be counted as disciples or dissenters. And it was a hot time there in Jerusalem, yet they had been touched in such a way that they had no rightful reaction but to stand up and to say, hallelujah, hosanna, here's my jacket, here's my palms, I'm with this guy, he's on a donkey, I realize that, yeah, it looks stolen, but there's a whole story behind there, (laughs) you know, we're just, we're going with it, and he's got something to offer to the world. Now, let's keep going. Uh, Two more verses, and we'll get into Ephesians. I just want you to grasp this, Palm Sunday. Jesus is coming in. He's telling the Pharisees, I could could have him quiet down, but it's not going to work. He's looking at the disciples, receiving, by the way, receiving their praise. Throughout the scriptures, whenever angels would get worshipped or praised, or even prophets would get worshipped or praised, or Peter would get worshipped or praised, or even Paul was worshipped and praised, they would always stop, stop. Don't worship or praise me. I'm just an angel. Don't worship or praise me. I'm just Peter. I'm just Paul. Stop it. Jesus here getting worship and praise took it. He received it. Validating his deity. In case you wonder, in a Jewish culture, you don't receive praise and worship. It's a big no-no. 
unless you're God, <laughs> then it's totally cool. <laughs> so in case you're wondering, is Jesus indeed God? He received this praise, defended those who were worshiping him. It's just, there's no need for evidence. What there is is a need for a softening of our hearts. And maybe this next point will do it for you. Verse 41. Now, as he drew near, he saw the city. He's, he's coming there. This song is happening. The Pharisees are shouting. It says that as he drew near, he wept over it, saying, If you had known even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. Stop right there, eyes up here. Two times in the scriptures it says Jesus weeps. If you want to start memorizing scripture and you want to grow in that, the first scripture you should memorize is John eleven thirty five. 35. It's two words long. You'll feel like a theologian all day. Jesus wept. Yes, got my verse down, got my memory verse down. And Jesus wept in John eleven thirty five. 35. And check this out. He did so at his friend's funeral, at Lazarus's funeral. And there was heartache there and there was pain. And Jesus in his humanity wept. And actually in the Greek, that word wept means tears actually came out of his eyeballs. Here though, much later, he comes to Jerusalem and he weeps again, but it's a different Greek word. It's not a Greek word that implies tears out of eyeballs, but instead it, it, it implies an anguish of soul in lamenting, not for his own pain that he was experiencing with loss of Lazarus and pain with his friends, his own inter, internalizing pain. Check this out. His pain on this day at Jerusalem on Palm Sunday as he looked around, his pain was not for himself, but for those who didn't see him. His pain wasn't for the suffering he was about to endure at the cross. No, no, no. His pain was for those whose eyes were blinded to the things of God. Even though he was on a donkey as it was prophesied. Check this out. Even though he came in on April 6, AD 32, you can do the calendar event. You can check it out as prophesied in Daniel chapter 9 where it says 173,880 days after the going forth of the command to rebuild Jerusalem, which is March 14th, 445 BC, given by Xerxes. When that command happens, you can count forward 173,880 days and it'll take you to AD 32, April 6th, which is this day. Jesus is looking around and saying, nobody set your calendar? Darn it. You guys have iCal, you got the calendar alert, you know what I'm saying? They didn't do it. And Jesus, not for what he was about to suffer and the rejection. Listen, this is your savior. He looked at them and said, oh man. Oh no. Oh, you're blind. No. And he wept. Not for his own pain, but for the pain for those walking in blind. I need you to get that about your Savior. Mark 10, 45, Jesus says, I didn't come to be served. I'm not on a T-Rex. I came to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. That's what I came here for. I'm actually here for you and you and you and you and the whole world. And when the world rejects Jesus, even though he presents himself so flawlessly, perfectly, 173,880 days, he comes on the day. And it drives him then to this weeping because the things were hidden from their eyes. Interesting thought, hidden from their eyes. Did you know that the Bible says that we have a spiritual mind, spiritual eyes? Most of you would agree. We're spiritual beings. I've been saying that for weeks. We're spiritual beings having a human experience. We're not humans. Okay, this humanity thing, this body of death is fading away daily, but my spirit is being renewed in the knowledge of God daily. My spirit is growing. My spirit will continue when I die. My body turns to dirt and my spirit goes to be with God. We're spiritual beings. And in that comes a spiritual need. And that is we need to have spiritual sight. As a matter of fact, Ephesians chapter two, no, 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 no. It's 1 Corinthians chapter two, verse 14. Here's what it says. 
It says, but the natural man, that's a lot of people, does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Interesting. Paul says there's a spiritual blindness that comes upon people. It doesn't even come upon them. You're born into it. But then there was a spiritual sight that is given by God to individuals, and all of a sudden, you become not a dissenter, but a disciple. Was it that obvious for you? Just raise your hand if it was that obvious to you. You were completely blind to the things of God, and all of a sudden, you don't know how it happened, but you do know that it happened. Now you see things differently. Raise your hand up high, would you please? If you see, all of a sudden, you just can't explain it, but man, I just, woo, I can see now. It's like putting glasses on, and you didn't realize that you were blind, and you're like, I can see. I say that to say this. Jesus wept over their condition and continued to follow through with the course. He still preached and taught every single day up until Good Friday until he died for the sins of the world and then he paid for the sins of the world and then on Easter Sunday he rose for the sins of the world. And the eyes of our spiritual understanding are being opened daily since then. People got saved on that day. People are getting saved on this day. Here's the point, though. The spiritual eyes of our understanding being blinded. Turn now your Bible to Ephesians 1. That's to the right. You guys are getting a little bit of theological depth today on Palm Sunday and this understanding of what we're dealing with all around us. I'm gonna say this. I don't know if it's gonna come up again. I'm gonna say it because I'm thinking about it. I'm surprised at how surprised I'm surprised. That makes sense if you think about it. Like you think about it, write it down. I'm surprised at how surprised I'm surprised that everything around me is a spiritual battle. I mean, it surprises me how surprised I am when I'm surprised that it was a spiritual battle. In other words, let me say it a different way. I forget so often that what we're dealing with is spiritual realities in everyday life, whether it's finances, whether it's your physical health, whether it's your social circle or friends or just your homeostasis or how do you say it? Homeostasis, how I feel, it's spiritual. It's all spiritual. And I go days sometimes, I'm embarrassed to admit it. And I'll go a week Hopefully on Sunday I correct my thinking. But I'll go times where I just forget, oh my gosh, this is a spiritual battle. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and crazy things. We're going to get there in Ephesians chapter 6. And I'm surprised how surprised I'm surprised. Paul, in chapter 1, has been telling the church at Ephesus, oh, guys, you're rich, you're blessed, you're adopted, you're grafted, you're equipped, you've been given everything, you have all of this stuff. And then in verse 15, he says, therefore, we're going to get there, there, because you have everything, it's done in Christ, in him, in him, in him, in him. He says it over and over. Because of that, I think I should probably pray for you. Think about that. I think I should now pray for you because you have it all. Because you're good to go. You're going to heaven when you die and you're living for him until then. Because you're fully equipped, I better as your pastor bow my knee and pray for you now because you're likely to forget it. Because you're likely to be surprised at how surprised you're surprised when you forget that it's all spiritual. Why am I having this bad day? Why am I tempted in this way? Why is this thing so overwhelming me right now? Because it's a spiritual battle. As a matter of fact, in this prayer, Paul prays twice in the book of Ephesians. He prays in the book of Philippians. He prays in the book of Colossians. He prays in the book of Romans. He prays for his churches. 
In this prayer, he prays for a lot of things, their spiritual understanding, the power of God to be theirs, for wisdom and enlightenment, for knowledge, all this crazy stuff, for theirs to enjoy and to have that they might not be tossed to and fro. As a matter of fact, let's just read verse 15 to 23. Just segue with me. He uses the word therefore, and whenever you see the word therefore, you gotta know what it's there for, okay? He's been talking about how rich we are. Therefore, I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna seal the deal. Look at verse 15, read it with me. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. Listen, making mention of you in my prayers. And here's the prayer. Here's what he's praying for, for the rich guys. And I say rich, I mean spiritually. For the people who have it all together, at least on paper. The ones that have all the access to the kingdom of heaven. Listen to what he prays for them. Because what we're dealing with here today is a spiritual battle. It's not physical. And you and I have a proclivity to forget and get weird and get confused. Here's verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, listen, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Wow, that's an open heart. Verse 18. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. We just talked about that spiritual blindness. That you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of his glory and the inheritance in the saints. Verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. How mighty? Look at verse 20. Which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age that is to come, verse 22, and he will put all things under his feet and he gave him to be head over all things in the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Thus concludes the prayer that Paul has for his Christians that knew God and were in the faith, yet who had a proclivity to forget, to be surprised that they were once again surprised that they are surprised. Did you know that preaching and teaching and sharing, leading, coaching, and discipling, convincing, rebuking, and arguing are all parts of your responsibility as a Christian? Even more so if you're a mom or or a dad or an aunt or an uncle or a grandma or a grandpa or a brother or a sister or a son or a daughter or a male or a female or tall or short or big or small or young or old. Did I get everyone? It is your responsibility to share, teach, lead, to plead to debate, to negotiate, to consider, to draw, to, to talk. It's, it's your responsibility. Did you know that it's in the power, listen, especially if you're a parent, a mom or dad, a coach, a male or female, or if you're here or you're not here. It's more important though, listen, that you be a person of prayer for the people that you love. It's not based on your great leadership skills and your oration abilities. Your understanding of Greek participles and things. Your your understanding of Old and New Testament and the blend of theology. It's not not about that that's going to save people. I just guarantee you. It is through your time spent in prayer for your kids, for your spouse, for your boss, for the homeless, for the president and the president to come. It is your time, not spent in debating or teaching or discipling or coaching or leading or pleading. It is actually in the time of prayer. So here, Paul, we took almost three months to get through the longest sentence in the Bible, verse three through 14, where Paul says, man, you got this, this, this is true, this is true, this is true, this is true, that's true, that's true. 
And he's maybe looking at their eyeballs glassing over. He's like, I better just pray now. I'm going to go into a season of prayer for you. And he seals the deal. It reminds me of the illustration Jesus used of sowing the word. And he said, when the word is sown, some goes on the pathway and the birds of the air just grab it. And I like to use the illustration of when the word goes out, it returns not void. It does stuff. But you got to seal the deal with prayer. And prayer is kind of like putting dirt over those seeds. Let's not let the birds get this. Let's give this now what is true. Let's give it the power it needs to grow. And if you're a dad or you're a mom or you're a coach or, or you're a brother or a sister and you're leading people at all, you're a teacher or you're a boss or you're an employee or an employee and you want people to change, it's not just going to come from you blah, 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 blah to them, but it's going to be your time not just talking to them about God, but the real power is talking to God about them. You want to change your husband? Okay pray. You want to change your kids? Pray. I'm going to give him an earful. I'm going to give, you know, okay, maybe, you know, pray, pray. And Paul exemplifies that as he shows it as an example of how he now wants to pray for the church that he had planted and that he had heard about, because he realizes this is a spiritual battle. By the way, I'm surprised that I'm surprised that I'm surprised, but every time I'm reminded that it's a spiritual battle, it's so much, life's so fun. When you just realize it's not just because I'm an idiot, not just because they're an idiot, not just because it's spring break and everyone's an idiot, okay? It's actually a spiritual battle. Oh, yeah. And I'm on the winning team and I've got the arsenal of heaven. Oh, yeah. God's doing this to make me stronger. This is fun. And oftentimes, this is fun. That conclusion doesn't come when your situation changes, but when your mentality changes. When God reminds you, hey, hey. It's spiritual. I got this. It's, it's spiritual. We can handle this. It's spiritual. Keep going. Don't fret. I've got a plan. Uh, so Paul prays. Now, before we talk about this prayer in depth and how he prays and who he prays for, I want to just take a parenthetical sentence out of verse 15. I say parenthetical because it's just kind of a second thought. Read verse 15 with me one, one more time. He says, therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you. Let's read it without that verse where verse 15 says, there I also do not cease to give thanks for you. He adds in there, after I heard of your faith in Jesus and your love for the saints. In other words, he in prison started this church, left, got to prison years later, and he hears through the grapevine, they love Jesus and they love people. (laughs) As a pastor, he's like, what? I thought for sure they were going to fall apart as soon as I left. You know, I did my best and I told him everything I know and I left. They're growing? No. And he heard this, this rumor, because what God starts, God finishes. And Paul would know, even if I'm not there, God's there. He who began a good work in you would be faithful to complete it. Even if I'm in jail, God's going to continue because it's his reputation that's on the line. Now, as a pastor, that's great news when you hear that your church is growing. Two things they're noted for here, by the way, and we're going to talk about that next week. They have faith in Jesus and love for one another. Well, let's talk about it this week, actually. What is the church uh, notoriously famous for? If you were to ask people, what is the church famous for? Let me ask you a different question. What is, let's just go Westboro Baptist Church. What are they famous for? I'll just, it's a, it's a four-letter word. Starts with H, rhymes with hate. Okay, hate. Westboro Baptist, you guys know, you've seen them. They're the people that want to go to funerals of 
people who died in the military and other people, and they pick at these funerals saying everybody here is going to hell because they're not like us. We're the only true group. And they all of us, and people say, what? And let me just, the church is famous, whether you like this or not, the church is famous for things it's against more than things it's for. Okay, I want to put, here, he heard about the church at Ephesus. Man, I heard you guys are for Jesus and for each other. Oh, that's the rumor. That's the rumor. It's not that you're against them and hating them and going to take that. What you're famous for is loving Jesus and loving one another. I like that. As a matter of fact, I would like to become famous one day for those reasons, wouldn't you? I remember when I was partying in Ashland, I was a drug dealer and alcoholic, and then Jesus saved my life, and I, I changed radically almost overnight, and I kept going to these parties. Not to tell my friends that they were wrong, but to tell them about Jesus. And so later on, after my testimony, and I became a Christian and started walking with God, I heard a testimony about somebody who was there and witnessed the whole thing. And the rumor was, he came to parties and was the party animal, this and that. And then the next thing I know, he just started telling people about the love of Jesus and that they needed to give their lives to Jesus. I could have gone to those parties and told them how wrong they were, Okay, what are you famous for? What, what, what does Jesus want this church to be famous for? As a matter of fact, check this out, kind of scary. I don't, I don't, I don't mind scaring you guys, okay? The, the Bible's real. A few years later, maybe 40 years later, after this letter, John the apostle would write a letter and Jesus would speak into it, the book of Revelation. And he would say, hey, that church at Ephesus... Let's title them, there's seven churches in the book of Revelation. Let's title them the loveless church, okay? I've got a word for them. And he saw their business and saw the way that they were running their church. And he said, you guys are doing really good on a business model. You're doing really good, very successful, but you have no love. Evidently, they were at one point known for their love. And then at another point, they had left their first love. You who know the story know. They were famous for their love. And I would just say it this way. There are a lot of people who say, I, I'd go to church. I love God. You know, I love God, but I don't like the people. You know, it's full of hypocrites. And I say, oh, well, if that's your problem, then you, you'll fit right in. <laughs> we, won't even, we won't even notice you. Just, you, know, so you. You won't rock the boat at all. And I invite people to church. And it, it, you actually can't say, the Bible says it, the book of John, 1 John, says you can't say you love God and don't love your brother. It's impossible. You're actually not loving God if you don't love your brother. As a matter of fact, Jesus said it very simply. He said the greatest commandment in the world is to love God. And most of us are like, oh, that's a, the big E on the chart, love God. And he says, and the second one's just like it. Love your neighbors yourself. Whoa, train just went off the track. Like, I'm okay loving God. I love this. Me and you are great. It's all these people that are crazy. It would be like this. Let's say you said, Luke, I just, I like you. You're really just a fun person to be around. I want to hang out with you. And I was wondering if I could come over to your house. But if I come over to your house, can you just promise me that your wife and kids won't be there? Because, man, they are horrible. <laughs> How would that conversation go? <laughs> Fat lip on your part, you know? <laughs> tell you how I feel, you know? And people do that though. They say, I love God, but I don't go to church. I'm just telling you right now, this church, Ephesus, was famous at one point for having faith in Jesus, which was not popular at the time, nor is it now, but that's what they were famous for and for their love for each other. Jesus said it this way in John 13, all men will know you're my disciples by your love one for another. We want to believe that Jesus said, and he didn't say this, we want to believe that Jesus said, all men will know you're my disciples by your hate for groups other than yourself. <laughs> by your separation and distance from those who don't think like you. Make sure you make a separation. No, 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 you're my disciples. <laughs> That's not what he said. He said, no, no, you love me and what I stood for, okay? And then you love people and I'll handle the rest. 
and I will bring people into accordance. Be guilty of loving people, okay? I dare you, just try that. Be noted for loving people and Jesus will draw people to himself. Notice here though that he heard this all the way in the Roman jail. This rumor had been circulated around. He heard this. There was something famous about him. This happened a couple weeks ago here in Newport. We had a family visiting. They came two Sundays in a row. Last Sunday was their second. And they were visiting here. They're full-time missionaries. What they do is, and I shouldn't even tell you what they do. I'm gonna tell you what they do. What they do is they travel around to churches in need of building facilities, okay, additions, restorations, or brand new facilities. And they were ultimately directed to this church to come worship with us. Interesting to me, at least. And they're on their way up to Washington to help build a church that had flooded out and all the rest. And so they went to uh, the internet and they Googled here in Newport, spirit-filled churches. They wanted to find a good church. And the nearest spirit-filled church, according to their internet search, took them two hours away. (laughs) They couldn't find one anywhere. So they went to Taco Bell. It's the next closest thing to being (sighs) spirit-filled. Or at least in the attempt to get there. Anyways, went to Taco Bell and they asked the person working, hey, we're just visiting, looking for a church tomorrow. Saturday night, any good churches in town? What do you think the person at Taco Bell said? Well, yeah, there's this, this, there's this church in, in South Beach that's got a pretty good reputation. And, and I'll tell you what, I've been living here now six years. It'll be six years in August. And the reputation that you guys have as a church is pretty good. Everybody's, I hear nothing but good stuff about South Beach Church. Man, you guys are, it's just a growing church. And man, you guys got all these cool hoodies. You know, <laughs> the reputation is growing. And I would just encourage you that God's using this church. And you should be famous for what? for loving Jesus and for loving each other, okay? I was talking to my wife a long time ago and I mentioned the word church growth. And I said, well, if the church is growing, we need to change our systems in order to accommodate church growth. And if you do that, if you don't do it right, the church won't grow anymore. There's ways you can actually stifle growth and there's ways you can ride growth and say, okay, we need need a bigger building, we need this and, and it'll continue to grow. And my wife just challenged that idea. She said, church growth, why would you want the church to grow though? Let's just talk about it. I began to then say, look, if this is where lives are changed, if this is where the gospel of truth saves people from hell and puts purpose in their life and heals them of their sins and leads them forward and empowers them and sets people in their true identity in Christ, we should have a church big enough to house the entire city of Newport or develop systems via the internet and the stream and the radio and all the stuff that we can do to get the message out to anybody and everybody. And we should be famous if... We're leading people to love Jesus and to love each other, the two greatest commandments in the world, okay? Paul was experiencing that. He heard about this. This is so simplifying. It's really a simple message. I actually feel I overcomplicated it in the first service, and I've done it again for you guys, but it's so simple on this Palm Sunday to want to live a life that is so simple in your love and your discipleship and devotion to Jesus in its simplicity, trying to then serve humanity and to trust that God has given to you the riches in order to pull it off. Verses three through 14, we're so rich. Paul says, you guys, you're, you're probably gonna forget how rich you are, so I'm gonna pray, okay? Or you're probably gonna get, we'll talk about this next week, you're probably gonna receive more attacks than most people. You realize that as you get more and more confident in Christ, Satan comes after you and you need your pastor and you need your friends and you need yourself to pray for you. Why? Well, because as the message goes out, as people continue to find out about Jesus Christ through this church and other churches, man, God is going to be glorified. Just like that couple came here. They came here for two Sundays. They're in Washington now. After they found out about our church, they fellowship here for two weeks and they're up there and uh, we've been communicating and we'll do, I don't know what's gonna happen with that relationship. Here's the deal though. This church is famous already, okay? I got these letters I wanna share with you. This is really exciting. Uh, this letter I got uh, back in June of 2015 from Sarah in Chicago. She said, I don't go to your church. 
uh, uh, in Chicago, uh, nor really know much about you or South Beach Church. However, in a, in a funny, perfect way, the Lord led me to the book of Nehemiah. I live in Chicago, and I'm involved in a wonderful Jesus-loving church that I'm blessed to be a part of. She goes on to then talk about her pastor teaching on Nehemiah, and she'd never read the book of Nehemiah, so she grabbed her little smartphone and went to iTunes and typed in Nehemiah, the very first book we taught through here at South Beach Church back in 2010, and it's she found that iTunes podcast and listened to the whole thing multiple times, changed her life, and she called, or should I say email, to let us know about it. She said, your preaching and focus on the scripture is terrific. I've listened to your Nehemiah series a few times, and I've listened to your podcast as well. On accident or intentional, this study is the perfect timing for some struggles, and she goes on to talk about what she's going through. Her conclusion is this, I hope South Beach Church continues to grow. And you see the Lord do amazing things through you, your leadership team, and your church body. I doubt I'll ever attend South Beach, although if I do make it to Newport, I definitely will. But the Lord has put it on my heart to financially support his work with South Beach Church. Know that you're touching people across the country, and I hope your community makes waves in the city. She goes on to say, if you're ever in Chicago, look up our church as well. That was in June. This one comes uh, just this year in January from a gal named Sabrina. Uh, January 8th. She says, I've debated on emailing you. I hope that you don't think this message is unimportant. The reason I'm writing you is for a few reasons. Number one, I listen to and enjoy your sermons weekly, if not daily. I listen to them over and over and over. I don't know how anybody can do that, but anyway, she does. I enjoy your humor and insightful direction to Jesus and the Bible and life applications. I think, she says, you might a long time ago had an experience with what I'm going through, and she goes in to then talk about her own experience, and I'm still uh, helping her along the way. This came just this uh, February. This is from Maine. Do you need a passport to go to Maine? I mean, where is Maine? Like, it is mainly out of the way. It's out of here. Sorry, Joe, if he's watching this. This comes from Joe, Joe Moser in Maine. He said, hey, Luke, greetings from Maine. I saw a sermon you delivered at Crossroads, and I just wanted to say thanks. I look forward to listening to your series messages. Uh, Take good care. Peace be in your house always. That was early February. Two days later, he says this. Hey, I run sled dogs, and I will be having you in my ears all day. Uh, And in my heart, thank you for sharing the good news. Many blessings. So he's listening to the podcast while he's mushing dogs in Maine. I guess that's what you do in Maine. You mush dogs. I thought, I knew I was right. Uh, Four days later. He says, I've been giving you my ear for the last few days. I've listened to you for 30 hours straight. No kidding. Uh, he goes on to make a few jokes. And then he says, I just finished with Acts 18, 24 through 38 and 19, 1 through 7. He said, you delivered on February 3rd, 2013. And man, did that speak to me? I do not have a church I attend locally. I fellowship with my neighbors. And he says, count me among one of your people. For what it's worth, I have found a home away from home, uh, peace, joy, and love in your house. And then just this last month, or a month later, should I say, he said, I love your sermon series. John is my favorite. Thanks so much for sharing the word. I have grown so much in the faith through your teaching, keeping me, my heart and my mind focused on Jesus. I see the world so differently now. Love from a brother. That's in Maine. Uh, this letter I got uh, this week, and this one came uh, via FedEx from Hawaii. This is exciting. And I'm going to be honest. When I read this letter this week, uh, came in from Hawaii, I was having one of those I'm surprised that I'm surprised that I'm surprised kind of days. Just wondering if, if, if it's, if it's, just anybody just suffer with ups and downs? Okay, nine of you, that's great. <laughs> the rest of you need to be drug tested. <laughs> and I was having one of those days. Guess what? It's a spiritual day. It's spiritual. And you could, uh, you could say it's physical this and physical that, but when spiritual truth comes in, And Paul prays, Lord, may their eyes be opened up. 
May they realize, may they keep loving you, keep loving people. And it was one of those days I just needed some encouragement. And anyways, the FedEx showed up and somebody was here. Here's what it says. It says, Pastor Luke. Hi, Luke. First and foremost, I'd like to say how stoked I am on what you're doing in Newport with South Beach Church. That's you guys. It really is a wonderful thing, and I wish the church was around when I was there, but honestly, I probably wouldn't have gone. I was on a completely different path then, and thanks to Jesus Christ, I'm now saved. Anyways, I felt led by God uh, to start painting Newport. And lo and behold, we have the Aquina Bay Bridge print right here. It's over here to my left. I'll show you in a minute. He, he, he painted it. He said, a lot of passion went into this, and while painting, I kept thinking of your church. And the amazing things God and your leadership, that's you guys, are doing there. I was constantly reminded of the beautiful scenery in Newport, but there was something missing from it all, something void. And every time I look at this scene or a similar one, I'm reminded of it. The void, it stirs up a slight sadness in me. I think this part of the sadness is the loss in Newport over the years, and more importantly, the lost souls there. I'm not saying Newport is a bad place. In fact, I think it's one of the most beautiful places out there. It just feels more personal to me since I grew up there. He goes on then to detail some of his own personal loss here from this town, both recently and historically, losing his brother and dear friend even in the last couple weeks. Uh, he, He goes on, he says, With all the loss in Newport, be it fishermen or people battling their own demons, I see your church planted there, like this bridge with its massive support columns, like God, weathering the storms over the years. So in a way, the bridge is symbolic to me of South Beach Church, and it gives me great pleasure to give this to you. Included with this print is our tithe for the month of February. He says this print is actually called a G-clay, which is just a French term for high-quality print on canvas. It's part of an edition of 250, and I wanted to give you, that's the church, I wanted to give you the first print of the edition. So on the back in the certificate of authenticity, it will show one of 250. I want to emphasize that in no way do you feel obligated to put it in the sanctuary or the lobby or wherever. Just, he feels he's no strings attached. I just, want to, I just felt led. This is a representation of South Beach Church. I felt led. I felt like God wanted me to give this to you, and it brings me a lot of happiness to do that. Sorry for the long-winded letter here and getting a little deep there too, but I hope you like this print, and may, you, may our family's small tithe bless your church. I'm going to show you this print right now. And when I first saw this, I actually thought it was a photo, like one of those photos of the bridge. And then you realize it's a painting. And, and you realize, I'm going to show it to each, each group of people. It's, it's on the screen, too. And that's a, a painting. I can't do stick figures very well. And this, this is a painting. And I'm going to leave it up here. You guys can come check it out. And he painted this in Hawaii because of what God's doing in Newport. Uh, because of what God's doing at South Beach Church. And so many people are stoked on Jesus and what God is doing. Andrew Palmer is the one who painted this. Some of you went to high school with him. You know him. I wrestled with his uh, older brother who's now in heaven. And I'm going to go ahead and uh, leave this up here. And I'm going to have the worship team come up because I went too long. And we're going to respond now by... I'm going to... Let's just simplify it, okay? I believe it was kind of a complex teaching. Maybe it's just me. Palm Sunday. Jesus is like, hey, here I am. Oh, wait, you're blind. I'm going to die anyways. And he cries and he weeps because of their spiritual blindness. They couldn't see it. You've spent seasons of your own life where you couldn't see it. I have too. Just didn't see it. Just didn't see it. And then Paul comes along 50 years later and says, oh, the riches of Christ. Oh, that you would know this, that you know this. And he goes into great lengths to describe, to detail, to declare, to debate the riches of Christ. But he seals the deal and he prays. 
And he says he's thankful for the church at Ephesus. He's thankful for them. And I need you to understand something. Every pastor that knows people that are growing in the things of God, he's, he's thankful. And I just need you to know that from my heart. I'm thankful for each and every one of you. Most of you don't feel appreciated in general in life. It's just kind of the way Satan messes with you. You don't feel appreciated. You don't feel validated. You don't feel like you matter. Okay, that's a lie. It's an absolute lie. And God appreciates you. If you love Jesus and love his church and you're doing your best, you know, you're not, you're not the best, but you're doing your best. Oh, all of heaven stops their tracks and says, are you for real? You love Jesus in a toxic environment? You love the body? You love people? And God is thankful for you. And Paul would be thankful for you. And I'm your friend and I'm your pastor and I'm thankful for you. I've got a list of, and your names are on it. Did you know that? Your names are on that list. I'm thankful for you as I pray, as I look through who you are. You're just you. I'm just me. You're valuable. You're special. God's called you, and I appreciate you, and you need to know that God appreciates you, and he has gone before you to open up your eyes, to give you the strength, to lead you into the things of God. It's very simple. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes now as we prepare to take communion. Lord, here we are, just a bunch of people. At a very simple church, we, we meet in a warehouse, you know that, you, you love that. And we're in Newport, you know that and you love that. And Lord, we give our lives to you at this very moment by responding to you saying, it's just us. But you're you and you're worth it and you're good and you're God and you're glorious. And on this Palm Sunday, we would be those who would surrender our own identity. We would take our own jackets off and give them to you. We would take palms if we had them and we would put them at your feet. We would say, Hosanna, save now. You're it. Glory to God in the highest, the Prince of Peace, the King, the King of Heaven. We would quote scriptures to you and point and say, it's, it's you. And even when the world would push back and say, quiet down, we would say, no, we can't be quiet. We're gonna live our lives for you because you gave your life for us. And Jesus, even as Paul would say, I'm gonna pray for you now. I'm going to pray with thankfulness because of your love for Jesus, because of your love for humanity. God, I pray for this church as well. I pray in your name, Lord, that we would find ourselves walking, Lord, during Palm Sunday week, Passion Week, Easter Sunday, Lord, looking forward to what's next, the Good Friday service, springtime, Lord, living our lives. In Jesus' name, may the eyes of our understanding be opened right now in Jesus' name. You've given enough evidence. May the pride be diminished. May humility be ours. May the hard hearts be softened. May the rebellious ways be repented over. And may individuals even this day say Hosanna, which means save now, save me. And if you're here today and you would say, you know what, I do realize it's all spiritual. The whole thing's spiritual. And because of that, I need a spiritual God. I need a spiritual answer. I need a spiritual power. I can't do it my way. It doesn't work. And I want to be a Christian. I want to be saved and I believe in Jesus. I would be one of those who say Hosanna. If that's you, would you just raise your hand to the Lord right now on Palm Sunday and just identify with him and just raise your hand and say, yes, Lord, save me. May all of my spiritual needs be met in Jesus. Give me the eyes to see. Open up my eyes. There's hands everywhere. Raise your hand up right now. Just humble yourself. He has done enough. The choice is yours. He has done enough. Worship him. Crown him as king, removing yourself from the, the throne. God, my hand is up too. 
I apologize for being so surprised all the time, Lord. I forget. And I ask, Lord, that we would have our eyes opened up. Everyone on stage, everyone off stage, everyone sitting down, everyone standing up, everyone serving in the back, everyone coming tonight, everyone helping out this week, all of us, Lord, open up our eyes to see the things that are true, the things that are real. We are desperately in need of you and you have given yourself over as the sacrifice. Thank you for the encouragement, Lord, you're bringing to Hawaii, the encouragement in Maine, the encouragement in Chicago, the encouragement in Arizona, the encouragement in Newport. You're just awesome. You're worth it. And we do what we do now because of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray, amen. Would you all stand with me? When you're ready to celebrate and take communion, come down the center aisles and take your elements back out the side aisles. There's people on my right and left to pray for you during this time as well.